Hi everyone, we're going to go through our DT today in Galatians and Hebrews. Uh, so the first one I wanted to talk about was from uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I was really struck by this phrase. First of all, what does it take to bear one another's burdens? I think first of all, we have to notice what are the burdens that someone is carrying? To be able to notice their face, their posture, are they looking more down than before? Or asking about their life, their family, things they're going through, finances, school, etc. When you think about it, all of us have so many things that we feel burdened by. But how do these things come out? You can't notice or have the depth of relationship to ask about burdens if you're just acquaintances or just seeing each other briefly on Friday or Sunday. It takes investment of relationships, closeness, time spent with one another, lingering conversations, being each other's homes. As you grow more comfortable and build those relationships, then the opportunity comes to take these relationships deeper. And then it also takes being other-centered. You can be in the same room as someone who's going through a lot, and yet because we're so concerned about our own issues or self-consciousness, we don't look around. We barely have enough room for our own life, and we don't ask the questions because we're afraid to take on more burdens. And for me, I really feel challenged in this area to be able to notice, to welcome the burdens of others, not being afraid to bring things up and ask deeper questions. But then it says to bear one another's burdens. It's not just enough to know or to hear. That knowledge needs to lead to the action of lifting up that burden alongside the other. Sometimes we feel content to just get away with, oh man, that's tough, and then think that's enough. But no, we are called to lift it up with them. I thought about this passage in James chapter 2, 14 through 17, and it reads, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm to fill, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And it's saying here that there are needs and burdens that people have, and there are ways that we can bear it with them concretely. Maybe sometimes it'll look like praying about it regularly with them, or seeing if there are ways we can use our time, our money, whatever we have to be with that person in their difficulty, or even take on part of the burden, or sometimes just encouraging that person with a small gift or a meal. A lot about different stories in my life. I remember one when I was my first year in San Francisco, I was playing volleyball, I broke my finger, and I was supposed to get surgery. I was like, how am I gonna do that? I'm by myself, I'm not with my parents, but really the church rallied around to take up that burden. My leader drove me, waited the whole time during surgery and post-op to be with me. A rotation of people cooked, even helped me tie my shoes because I couldn't do it with my hand, and they helped me bear that burden together. I thought about another time when I started residency in San Diego. There were times I'd be overnight and there were sisters who'd stay over with Judy when I was overnight. There were also rotation people when we had Teresa to help when I was on shifts, to cook for us and take care of our family. And that's what it looks like to bear one of those burdens. And why are we to do this? Because it says that through this we fulfill the law of Christ. And what is this law? It's to love one another. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. As Christ has loved us, what is that love? It's sacrificial, self-giving, at great cost to himself, bearing the burden of our sin. And now we get to do similarly, to bear one of those burdens for others. And finally, I just want to address this fear that we have when we're called to bear one of those burdens. Why is it that we feel shy, we don't want to take on others' burdens? It's because we feel like we barely have enough time, energy, resources for our own life. If we take on someone's burdens, will we get crushed? What about our own needs? and so we close off our own heart. But is that the way to life? I thought about shelter in place recently and how people are left to take care of their own burdens and what has that led to? 
It's led to increased anxiety, fear, and depression. There's an article in this week's Week magazine about increasing teenage mental health during the pandemic. And why? Because they don't have the space to be with their friends and to share their burdens with one another. And it shows us that we cannot carry our burdens on our own. We need people. And as we carry others' burdens, others also carry ours. And we end up with more bandwidth. Somehow there's greater joy and capacity when we share it. And like Jesus says, he who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for his sake will save it. And that's what we get to experience as we take that risk and have courage to bear one another's burdens. The next passage is Hebrews 3, 12-13. Verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So I thought about what does an evil, unbelieving heart look like? I think it looks like a heart that is not intent on harming other people proactively, though there can be those instances. But I think evil always starts small, like not wanting to help someone, not wanting to bear the burden of another, hoping that I can preserve my time, my energy, my money for myself. There are instances of pure evil in the world, such as what's going on in Ethiopia. For the Tigray talk we're having on Friday, we're talking about genocide, and there are 10 stages of genocide. It doesn't start off with killing a group of people based on their ethnicity, but it starts off small. For genocide, it starts with step one, classification, a way to distinguish between us versus them. Next, it's symbolization, where we give names or other symbols to classify people, like the way Nazis forced Jews to wear the Star of David. Then there's discrimination, dehumanization, and it gets progressively worse from there. We see this happening in Ethiopia, where one tribe is being singled out for genocide, and it is so tragic. And yet, we are all sinners susceptible to evil. The Bible says that all of us have hearts that are prone to sin like this, and that's why Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. How tragic it would be if in the church, after we've been forgiven of our sins, washed clean, and called to live a life of love, if we refuse to bear one another's burdens because we feel like I barely have enough time, energy, money, to take care of my own life. We have to take care that our hearts don't become this evil, unbelieving heart. And it starts with that first step, classifying other people as them, wishing they would bear their own burdens when we can at least hear them out, pray for them, pray with them, help them in concrete ways. God envisions the church to be like one life-giving organism, the body of Christ. From the previous passage in 1 Corinthians 12, we can't act like I have no need of you towards one another when one person is overly burdened with sorrow and hardships. It's during these times we have to be like the body, sending more blood cells to the parts that are weaker, trying to strengthen those parts. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is true of our physical bodies, but it is supposed to be true of the church, the body of Christ. We are to be so connected with one another that we cannot help but suffer or rejoice together. So I'm thankful that with shelter-in-place restrictions lifting, that the COVID numbers on the decline, I'm praying that we will not neglect meeting together, as it says in Hebrews 10, 23-25. 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So thankful that these verses show us the picture of what it was like for the Acts 2 church. They were meeting together every day, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It has to start with this kind of commitment to be together and to bear one another's burdens. All right, that's it for today. See you guys later. Bye.